Hello, and welcome back to Now Screaming, episode 22. I'm Evan Culbertson. And I'm Liz Smart. And we're watching all the horror movies currently streaming on Netflix. So you don't have to. This week, we'll be talking about the Spanish, question mark, horror movie, Apartment 143. Or Embargo. Emergo. There's no G? Oh, is it like Emergo? Yes. Emergo? It is Latin for To Emerge. Oh. That is not the real title of this movie. It was the original title. It's still what it is on Letterboxd. Interesting. It's still Maybe that's what it was released in Spain as. Yeah. We say Spanish question mark because the creative team behind this seems to be Spanish, but the cast is not, and the film is entirely in English. And it's not set in Spain either. It's set in America. Yeah, and there are a couple characters, I feel like, who are Spanish. There's two, like, side characters who speak with Spanish accents. But I wasn't sure if that was, like, just because they were, like, pulled from the creative team or something. Or, like, they were just friends of the creators, and that's why they were Spanish. So, this was directed by Carles Torrens. It's another debut film. Another one. Uh, It was written by Rodrigo Cortez, who I had never heard of. But apparently he made the film Buried, the Ryan Reynolds movie, Mm -hmm. which I've heard good things about. Oh, you have heard good things? Yeah. I didn't hear anything about it. I don't know anything else about it, but apparently it's... Love Ryan Reynolds. This podcast is very much a fan of Ryan Reynolds <laughs> and his wet body. Oh, yes. So, just to get this out of the way, this is our first found footage type yes, which film. Which is your favorite, right? It's your favorite it is, in genre. fact, my least favorite <laughs> horror convention, unfortunately. It's weird to call it found footage, though, because I don't think this wades too much into spoiler territory. It's not like the Blair Witch Project. It's not like found footage. I think this still counts as found it's, footage, though. It does because that's what we're that's what we call this genre now. But it's it's like POV footage. It's like security sure. cameras and like people walking around with cameras. But it's but I think that the the thing that makes it I guess the footage is this, not found. Yeah, that's I guess the, that's what we pose the question is like found footage suggests that it was all contained on one mm-hmm. like tape. But Blair Witch Project, the new Blair Witch, is not that way. There's many different tapes, and that's still I would consider found footage. Yeah. It still means that somebody again, compiled it. Again, it's what we call the genre, yeah. but... It's not, you're right, it's not really. It's not the kind of movie where, like, something unspeakable happens, and then we just have this footage left over it's to deal like with it. It's not like Cloverfield. Like Cloverfield, yeah. It's not that kind of thing. It's just that the entire film is focalized through the recording equipment right. of our parapsychologist team. Right, and I would think that you actually would like this more than things like Cloverfield and Blair Witch Project, because there isn't actually that much shaky cam. You know what? You're totally right, and I do like this movie. Yeah. Yeah. You like it? I like this movie. All right. Did you like it? I liked parts of it. I liked certain things about it. There's one huge glaring thing that we'll talk about later mm-hmm. that stops me from liking it more than I would. Um, but unfortunately, I cannot overlook this big giant yeah. thing and we'll discuss it. Yeah, there's some messy stuff here and it isn't special. It's nothing that... It's certainly not special. It's, it's actually almost... Similar to a movie we did on this podcast, it's very similar to The Dead Room. Yeah. yeah. Um, I found it, like, the set is almost completely correct, like, exactly like it, with the um, long hallway, yeah. with the lights in the hallway, and, like, the rooms to each side of it. I think this is a lot better. Really? Yeah, this this movie has scares. That's true. I thought the parts of The Dead Room were scary. This movie has characters. This movie has dialogue. Hey, 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 hey. This movie hey, isn't... Hey, I love that girl from The Dead Room. I liked her a lot. Dead Room is like... It's just like Koyana Scotsy. It's just like, I don't... I don't need... Or Showa. I'm referencing things that are not horror movies. Yeah. I don't need to look at this ambient-ass movie for so long. This is like if The Dead Room had plot, you know? 
Sure. It is exactly like the, it's the dead room with plot. Sure. But so it did a lot of the same things, you know, in terms of like every moment wasn't a thrill ride, you know? Sure. It was a s- similar to the dead room. Do you want to talk about that plot? Sure. So the entire movie takes place pretty much in apartment number 143. Mm-hmm. And it's about a team of parapsychologists who go in and investigate the weird things that have been happening to this family. Mm-hmm. So let's sketch out the characters. Classic haunting. The team, uh, it's a trio. Mm-hmm. Paul. Paul Ortega. The technological expert. Ellen. Keegan. Mm-hmm. The gatekeeper? I don't know. Yeah. Paul is describing, there's literally the scene in the first moment of this movie is just Paul going around in the car, naming all of them and describing their roles. But he's very glib when it comes to Ellen. Yeah. We don't actually know. She it's off-putting. She definitely handles their, like... He calls her a secretary at one point, a receptionist, uh, because she is the one handling the calls. People will call her and say, we need help. It sounds like she like she's like the bookkeeper and like manager. Right. I don't know. But she knows some things about, like she operates some of the machinery. She knows some things about the... Right. About, to call, about ghosts to call her, and about paranormal things. To call her a receptionist really is not fair. No. She calls herself the gatekeeper. I don't know why. I don't know what that means. And then the boss is Dr. Helzer who is Michael O'Keefe from Caddyshack, who I looked up. He was married to Bonnie Raitt through all of the 90s. It's very good trivia fact. He's been in a lot of movies. I, I, I recognized him, but not like from anything substantial. Yeah. There was a lot of faces like that in this. Yeah. Uh, I thought they, a lot of people were kind of vaguely recognizable in a kind of familiar way. So they show up and they're going to investigate this house. Mm-hmm. And this house is, this family is Alan White, mm-hmm. the dad. The dad. He's a widower. He's from Green Room. He's, he's in Green Room. He's someone in Green Room. I don't remember who Clark is, but he's we looked Clark it up in Green Room. And we couldn't find out who it is. Now we gotta watch Green Room again. Uh, oh yeah. no. Oh what no. An what will we do? To watch a great movie. <laughs> uh, Benny is his son. His probably four, he's four. five year old son. He's four. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then uh, Caitlin is the teenage daughter. Yes. And the mother slash Ellen's wife died. Um, Ellen's wife? Oh, you, Alan's wife. I was like, Ellen doesn't have a wife. I don't think Ellen's gay. No, I wish. It's fine. We don't. We actually we don't have any proof that she isn't. So she is gay. She is gay. Gay until proven straight. Mm-hmm, exactly. Um, Alan's wife died. She was quote unquote very sick, and then there was a car crash. Is what happened. And after her death, weird things started happening. And that was in their old house. It was in their old they house. Moved, and then we, like they were fine for did it take a week or a month? I don't know. Some a short time, period of a time. Period of time, and then the, the bad things started up again in this new apartment. So that's why they want help. Yeah. So they show up, they install cameras in the ceiling. At this point, it was just paranormal activity. Um, it is which, very comparable to paranormal activity. This movie came out in 2012. Paranormal activity came out in 2007. Um, but apparently... 2007? Yeah. No, not in America. Paranormal activity? Yeah, it came out in 2009. I saw, it, I saw the day that it came out in theaters in my freshman year of college. It was like a big thing. Everyone from my college went. Okay. I thought Paranormal Activity was older than that. No, it's 2009. We'll have to fact check that. Do not... You're going to fact check my memories? I'm not denying your memories. I think Paranormal Activity... I don't know. Whatever. It it was released theatrically in 2009. This is not the point. (laughs) Apparently, this was being developed and the screenplay existed around the same time. Okay. And uh, director Carles Torres... Torrens... Says that he hadn't seen either of the Paranormal Activities when he started working on this so yeah they're not similar in plot they're only similar in like 
one just just the idea of putting cameras in the corner of your home or whatever well also just like it's a very simple idea and now now especially it's been done to death yes like every cheap like let's make a horror movie on a budget let's just set up some security footage and let shit happen it also has the common theme of um hauntings following you though yeah like that was kind of a new thing that was set up in paranormal activity at least like to me and the people that i that i spoke to that haunted houses were already a thing people were frightened of but the idea that you could be in your house and then try to leave and whatever it is would follow you that's kind of a that was a new concept that a lot of people um learned about during like after after watching paranormal activity to continue with plot this is pretty rote you know weird stuff's gonna happen um of note Caitlin, the daughter, is very angry. She doesn't mm-hmm. want them to be in her room. She's mad at her dad. She seems actually even probably like even more angry than normal teenager. They kind of keep treating her like, oh, she's a teenager. She'll just do what she wants to do. But she's like, she's super mad. She like slams the door all the time and she hates her dad. Like she calls him Alan. She does not call him dad. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, it's troubled. There's a lot of Alan like um, testimonials. Mm-hmm. Like talking about how he's struggling to like he doesn't know how to talk to her. Connect to her, yeah. yeah. And there's a lot of trauma in this house. I mean, like the wife uh, has died. Died. And, and there seems big... to be some kind of secret that that's not the whole story. Is that the whole story? Um, to me, I felt like the emotion here was pretty real. He's like they're being terrorized by something, right? And mm-hmm. also, they clearly haven't gotten over their mother and wife. It was dying. like six months ago, yeah. right? It was pretty recently. So, like the emotional, it's it's a volatile situation. Yeah. The first big supernatural or scary thing that happens, I think, is... And they're, they're ready for this, too, because they're, like, you know, they're investigators. Yes. The phone rings, right? And nobody's there. Mm-hmm. And then they, they hear sounds in the kitchen. They go to investigate, but nothing's there. But everything's, like, put away? Yes. Yes. Yeah. They hear, like, a clattering. And they're like, oh, no, the kitchen's been totally wrecked. And then yeah. they go, and it's, like, completely neat. Then there's, like... um, This is just, like, a bunch of details, like... uh. The doorbell rings, and then they, like... There's no one there, yeah. They rig up the phone, like they're going to trace a call or something, and they pick up the phone, and it's, like, noise. Screeching, yeah. It's just, like, this horrible noise. And I thought that was, like, pretty effective. It's, it's a very, very effective. It's a very chaotic scene mm-hmm. of all Them these things around, sort of yeah. happening. And that's the kind of shaky cam shit that I hate, and I think it's just, like, lazy. So that sort of happens the first night. The first day, we sort of skipped over a lot of their setup. We could talk about their setup. Um, they're going around, they're taking pictures of everything. And they're setting up, like, this equipment. There's, like, motion sensors. I think that the exposition of this first part, and that's kind of why I wanted to skip past it, I think it's really clumsy. It's a lot of the four-year-old kid asking what things are. Yes. And then, like, so the kid asks Paul something. Explaining Paul explaining No, Paul makes a joke. Ellen is like, no, this is an infrared thing. And Paul's, like, trying to have fun with the kid. And they do this more than once or twice or three times. It's for like every piece of equipment. Mm-hmm. It's really unnecessary. We as the audience don't need to know the technical details because mm-hmm. that, that information never becomes thing, useful to I us. I think the only thing that's interesting was the, um, gosh, the stroboscopic light yeah. that comes up later. That is the only time I actually wanted an explanation of something, but sure. you're totally right. Every other explanation is like, we don't need to know it. And it's a lot of like, you see Paul is a jokester and Ellen is a nurturer. Yeah. And it's, I agree, it's pretty and like, unnecessary. Especially the contrast is, there's a lot of other things and I want to I want to get into this. Actually, there's a lot I want to say about this movie. Dr. Helzer, again, who's in charge, says things like, 
And this is also early, like, sound abides by its own rules because there's some thumping upstairs. Like, Mm -hmm. the apartment above us has been abandoned. And he's like, sound abides by its own rules. And we're supposed to just, like, wave that off as, (laughs) you know, parapsychologists talking shit. Ridiculous. But we're also supposed to understand the technical details of this stuff that Ellen's trying to explain to a four-year-old. It's just a waste of our time, unfortunately. And I think it's just really clumsy. Anyway, this is a roundabout way of saying they take all these pictures on the first day. The first night, um, all of the stuff happens with the cacophony on the phone and the doorbell and all that. Mm-hmm. You know, they're freaking out, but it's they're used to this. This is and what they came for. And it's not dangerous at this point at all. Right. It's really not. It's just, like, creepy. And again, they're prepared. This is what they came to do. They're, yes. This is not... And Paul and Ellen are super excited. Yeah. Like, they're happy that this is happening. And I think that's different from a lot of movies in which, like, a thing happens to someone. Because it's happening to this family. But it's not focalized through this family. It's focalized through our investigators. Mm-hmm. And I think that was sort of fresh. I liked that. Yeah. Anyway, the next day, they're looking through their photos. And they see a human face in the background of um, a photo in Caitlin's room. Mm-hmm. A photo of Caitlin. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't really see it. It was very subtle. I, 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 like, paused on it. And I still couldn't really tell what they were talking about. They heighten it, though, don't they? Don't yeah. they, they pull up the... Do that classic, I'll pull up the contrast and uh, turn down the... Yeah. <laughs> and like, oh, can I... I think Paul and Ellen discover it. They're like, oh, we got to show this to everybody else. So they walk out into the living room and the there's a painting of a house that has been turned upside down. And they're like, what? Who turned that upside down? Your voice just went so low when you did that. <laughs> what? <laughs> they're freaked out. They gotta, they gotta know. So then there's okay. We gotta look and see. Do we take a picture of this? Can we confirm that it was not upside down? And there's everyone's just sort of like, oh, uh, I'm pretty sure that was right side up. You yeah. Know? Why would it be upside down? Good question. So they go and look at the look, pictures. Yeah, yeah. and the it's one with the face is missing. Well, it's it's in a camera blind spot. It's somewhere like so they couldn't oh, yeah. they couldn't see that. They couldn't tell, like, they couldn't see any footage of anyone turning upside down because it's in a blind spot, but there's no footprints in the um, powder that they set up. Mm-hmm. So they go and look, but as they're doing that, they're like, oh, that picture we took in Caitlin's room, is it's been deleted. It's not there. And then, it, this is one of the, the real good... Jump scares. Jump scares. Or just, like, a little touch of the movie. Paul is, like, turned, like, talking to someone, and the laptop, like, slams shut, mm-hmm. and then all the electronics are going crazy. Yeah, that's what I... I wrote that down as the first, like... It, I jumped a foot, like, in the air. Yeah. It was really, really well done. And I think that, like, you know, that's a that's a good example of the things that are going on in this movie. It's a lot of... I guess it's like it's like a slice of life of these people investigating the thing. There's a lot of mm-hmm. little things that happen. I don't want to talk about every single supernatural thing that happens. No. Um, that's just a particularly good one. You know, like, doors slam shut, stuff like that. Yeah. Little kids often running around scared. There's lots of situations where, like... They're all in the room together, but the kids are in their rooms, and something scary will start happening, and, and Alan White is like, I do go get my kids, and Dr. Helzer is like, do not go get your kids. And there's yeah. a lot of, it happens like several times, where it's like this constant reminder that Alan White loves his children, and it's just, that was kind of, you know. So I want to move on through the plot, and then we'll sort of come back to some things. Mm-hmm. Dr. Helzer has some very specific thoughts on what is happening that are kind of confusing. We'll sort of revisit that as a topic. So one of the next big things that happens is one of my favorite shots of the movie. Mm-hmm. Do you want to explain it? Or? Sure. Uh, basically, what they, they they do another one of those, like, this is a new piece of machinery that we have now to find, uh, you know, paranormal activity. And they do another one of those cute little um, Benny asking yeah. what it is. And uh, Dr. Helzer explains it in a strobescopic light that they're going to 
it's going to scan the room and um, flash intermittently. Flash intermittently, and things will show up mm-hmm. based on you know if they're being called or not. Um, and the this uh, harkens back to like a lot of what is being done in this movie, which is that there's a lot of really slow moments. Mm-hmm. This is the best one, but the movie does it several times where there's like it makes you sit on one shot mm-hmm. for a long time. And sometimes there's a payoff and sometimes there isn't. Like there's one there's one shot where they're all sitting eating breakfast together and it's just a long shot of them eating and nothing really happens. I want to talk about this too. Okay. But that but th- that happens a lot and this was another one of those situations where um, we're just watching through the camera as it scans the whole room, kind of like in a panoramic scan. Intermittently flashing. Intermittently flashing. So we only see every like other second or so. Exactly. And it's, it's, it's green. Mm-hmm. So it goes through the whole room once. It takes about how many seconds would you say? Like 15 seconds? No, it's probably longer. Yeah. It's, it's, probably it's like, long. Yeah. Uh, whole room one time. Whole room second time. And of course, I'm, we're horror movie buffs. We know what's going to happen. We know what's going to happen. <laughs> I'm like, it's the third time. But it goes through, it gets about halfway in, flash, horrifying image of a woman. Mm-hmm. Like, ghostly, scary woman. And I still, I knew it was happening. Oh, no. I yeah. leapt. Yeah. I flew off the couch. I was so scared. It's so, a good scare. And it's I think a really good moment. The fact that it works, even though you're anticipating it, I think is... It's shocking. Yeah. Like, I don't even know how that works, but I still was terrified. It got terrified. me. It freaking got Come me. Come on. I want to talk about some of these choices. This is a good point as any. I totally agree that the things that work best as far as... It's weird to call it cinematography, um, but it is. The way that these things are used, specifically the point of view cameras. Apparently the director doesn't like traditional found footage that much. He thinks it's kind of sloppy and like tends to be improvised. Did did you direct this movie? Yes, I did. Apparently, like, this was all scripted out very deliberately. All of the, like, camera movements, even, like, these slow-moving things... Oh, cool. ...was all, like, storyboarded and set up in advance, and it's very tight the way that they made mm-hmm. it. And he seems to be like, this is the kind of movie that it could have been made, like, in a, as a traditional horror movie, unlike something like Blair Witch Project, which relies on it being found footage. And yes. So he apparently sort of pushes back against the found footage thing. And I think that the, the subtle things that they do... Um, it is weird to talk about a door slamming shut being a big moment, but it was really effectively done just because you don't see anything other than door slam shut. And it's not like oh, an like, obscure shut. Oh, like the empty, like, yeah. like it's just darkness and then you just see the door slam shut. And there's the one where it's on the front and the bench is just moving very mm-hmm. slightly. And it was that same sort of thing where like you're watching it and you know it's going to move. You just don't know when it's going to move. Mm-hmm. And because you have this long silence, the tension was working really well. And I was surprised it was working so well because they're not doing anything super new or different or terrifying but it worked well in that every time that bench moved i still got a little bit of a shock you know the problem is i think it contrasts eh, it's not a problem it contrasts with moments of like chaotic quick zoom like what is going on like flash up to the ceiling it's very disorienting and i think that an argument could be made that that contrast works, that it's trying to Mm -hmm. be both this like subtle slow slice of life yeah, and also something very chaotic and hectic and we don't know what's going on. I haven't totally sorted out my thoughts on that, but it it isn't all slow. It isn't all deliberate. No, but I... Because this, the deliberate things and work. And this is where I need to, like... I don't want to talk about this quite yet, but there is a huge glaring problem with this movie related to that, which is, like, it's... Let's, let's just move forward. Okay. No, I want to talk about this, too, but we need to... You're right, we need to get to the plot. There's mm-hmm. also other things I want to talk about. We just mm-hmm. have to... Let's power through this plot. All right. Because they see this woman in the stroboscopic light. Mm -hmm. Stroboscopic? Yes. Stroboscopic. I wrote it down. 
they end up contacting a medium, which I thought actually was pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. And the medium is there to sort of channel, you know, whatever presence is there. And again, this ties into some stuff we're going to talk about later. This is one of the Spanish guys. He is. Mm -hmm. Yes. He looks like a total hippie, too. It's very funny. He was good, though. I I enjoyed him. He was his acting was really good. Mm -hmm. In this scene, the medium is trying to contact whoever Mm -hmm. it is. They're, are they at already at this point kind of suspecting that it's the wife, right? That it's the mother who's dead? They think so, yeah. They really like, I mean, it's pretty obvious. Um, well, some people do. Exactly. And so they're, uh, they're they're trying to contact her or whoever it is who's there, something like that. So they, Caitlin gets possessed. Things are revealed uh, during that possession that expose potential other secrets about. Well, we don't have to, you know, skirt around it. The possessed Caitlin is very accusatory towards her father. Her father. Um, Things that he did to her. Yeah, specifically, like, say, like, get, get your hands off her. Stuff like that. Yes. And it is... Was that... Okay, maybe this is... Was, was possessed Caitlin... It wasn't Caitlin speaking, though. No. The possessed, the person was saying, get your hands off her, meaning Caitlin. Yes. Yeah, so something creepy went down with the dad and the daughter... Yeah, which we don't know anything about. Know, yeah, we don't have any idea what's going um, on. Which is interesting because at this point, I think that up until this point, it's not really clear. Alan's, again, he's just like sad and kind of dopey. Yeah, he he's doesn't not, get his daughter. Yeah, he's not angry for the most part. He's just, he's confused and defeated and misses his wife. But we have had like, there have been some holes um, in t- in his story up to this point, you know? Which is why the next big thing that happens is... Dr. Helder sits Alan down and decides to interrogate him. Yes, because he's said up to this point, the the mom was sick, and then she died in a car crash. And then it was like, Kate, possessed Caitlin was saying things like, it wasn't an accident, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. And so then during this interrogation, it is revealed that Alan, or that, that the, Alan's wife was sick, like she was very mentally ill. Yeah, she, she was schizophrenic. Yeah, she was schizophrenic. and Which is, by the way, a detail that they save for the very end of the interrogation. Is it? Yeah. Oh, God. Uh, she was schizophrenic. She would, would spend these long bouts in bed, but then also, like, go out on the town, like, randomly just leave and, like, bring back lovers to the to the house. And what and, happened was, yeah. Caitlin walked in on her mom cheating on her dad, and then... The dad came home. Came home and hit her. Yeah, kicked the dude out. Right. Uh, beat the shit out of him and got kicked out. Hit the mom once, mm-hmm. apparently. Yeah. He says he only hit her once. Mm-hmm. And then they leave. Uh, he, he takes he the takes kids the and kids. go. Yeah. And she got in the car after them. and To follow them, To possibly. follow them and like got in a car crash and died. And then she died. Just to sort of wrap this up. That interrogation happens. Then the house decides to go fucking crazy. Mm-hmm. Once this is revealed. I think the last thing that he says, Dr. Helzer says, she has the, uh, Caitlin has the onset of schizophrenia, the same disease that her mother suffered from. And that's how we found out. It's like the laziest, clumsiest uh, exposition ever. Then it like decides to follow the House of Usher and just like, it's... It crumbles. Imploding. <laughs> and they're running around, Freaking you know, out. Caitlin is in her bedroom, like... Hovering? Hovering over her bed. Her dad's trying to grab her. It's the only time she ever calls him dad the whole time. Yeah. Um, because she's terrified and screaming. Um... And then it kind of ends, right? It just That's kind of big, ends. The big, you know, moment, everything's, papers are swirling and the bed is broken yeah. and everyone is shrieking at the top of their lungs. It's a, actually a very long segment. It's probably longer than it should be mm-hmm. of Caitlin just screaming and screaming and screaming and the dad screaming. And screaming. It's just like, it's so much. And then Caitlin passes out, right? Mm-hmm. She's like, has to be carried away on a stretcher. 
And then the ending, it's it's a weird sort of anticlimactic denouement. It is. Because it's them, it's Dr. Helser and Paul specifically, going around dismantling all the cameras. Mm-hmm. And sort of talking about... And they have a very, like, annoying, plotty conversation where Paul's yeah. like, so... Is that is that what happened, Doctor Helzer? And Doctor Helzer's like, "Yep, she's schizophrenic, and that was a poltergeist." The end. Yeah, and but they leave one ca- one camera up, and they say, "Leave it for the cops; they're going to want to see everything." Because there is this whole thing of they think that their tapes are going to be seized, depending on what goes down here. Mm-hmm. They talk about that a little bit, and so the last shot of the movie is the static shot on the same uh, painting that was upside down earlier, mm-hmm. and then it. Well, it's, it's, it's motion sensor camera, right? Yes. So then it, it is rises. A, it is a long shot. It's probably mm-hmm. like a, a solid minute of just the wall. And then it like slowly rises up to the ceiling. And you've seen a movie before. You know what's going to happen. <laughs> a creepy little girl spider walks across the ceiling towards yeah. the camera and then it goes out. Yeah. The end. Boo. Boo that shot. A real fucking bad ending. Yep. Like uh, totally unnecessary. I talked about this before with uh, Sinister. I think it totally ruins you to Sinister. And it's the, end of, it's the end of the dead room, too, remember? Oh, yeah. That's exactly what I... That's why I was like, this is the dead room. It's just different. Because it's the same. But, it, like, what makes this actually worse to me, and this may be why I maintain my love for the dead room more than I maintain my, like, the things I enjoyed about this movie, because that made sense in the dead room. That was the monster of the dead room. What? That's not the monster of this movie. Well, well... So, so now we to, we're gonna talk right. We're gonna, we're what what right is now. the monster of this movie? Okay, we're not gonna talk about the monster in this movie. Oh. There isn't a monster in this movie. It, it's something though. The ending is. I agree. I thought the same thing. It's like let's just get one last jump scare in there because that's where the money is. Mm-hmm. Carlos Torrens does not see it that way. It is. This is not like a thing that they added in his jump scare. It's part of the script. It was always integral. Quote. It provides a key piece of information that ties the story together. It's not gratuitous, for without it, you wouldn't get all the pieces of the puzzle. So what's the puzzle? This well, is this is where this is where we have to start. Like no, so I don't understand now, this movie. Now let's talk about what, what happened. Okay. But apparently, and I don't I haven't unpacked this yet. I don't know what the hell that has to do with anything. Mm-hmm. That last shot of just like a woman crawling across the ceiling. But it is apparently relevant. It's not just a jump scare. So Okay. So can, let's start from the beginning here. What we see as viewers is uh, door slamming, doorbells ringing, uh, things flying around. Uh, things showing up in photos that are not... That's, that's what I was going to get to next, because the conversation Dr. Helzer has with Alan White at one point is he tells him that there are three possibilities for hauntings, basically. There are ghosts, and there are... There's something else. What's the, do you remember what the second thing is? It's... Spectres, ghosts, and poltergeists. Yes. So this is... I got confused because at first he t- he says nature can't transcend itself. That is sort of Dr. Helzer's philosophy, is that nature can't transcend itself. And for him, it, it seems for a while like he just doesn't believe in the supernatural, and it's very confusing. Um, but it's more that he's like about defining his terms. Right. Uh, so Alan calls it a haunted house, but it's not a haunted house because the haunting has nothing to do with location or mm-hmm. atrocities that it happen follows you. And he says ghosts, ghost inspectors have the same kind of idea of, like, people who are dead, right? Mm-hmm. But ghosts are ghosts, and specters are imprints, isn't that what he says? Yes. Imprints of past souls. But poltergeists are associated with the psychism, that's his word, of someone alive. It's mm-hmm. like subconscious rage manifesting itself. Which is, that's what makes sense to me. I, yeah. underst- I understand. That, that's my understanding of poltergeists as well. 
is it's like it comes from a person and their rage and anger manifesting Mm -hmm. paranormally. That doesn't make any sense in this movie. I'm just going to say that. Like, why not? To me, because we see ghostly images. Yeah. So how is that related to to the poltergeist? Either that is manifestations of Caitlin's anger. So it is specifically Caitlin. They also mentioned this something to do with like you know she is going through puberty and then it's a particularly volatile emotional time. Yeah. Well, they, he said he said he, he said it could be all three of them because they kind of be people who have gone through trauma. No. No. What he's young do- boys and like teenage girls. Yeah. What he's doing is he's um he's sort of uh, Sherlock Holmesing. He's yes. Getting to the most likely mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah, he makes some comment, like I said, like, there's a lot of trauma in this house. This is not an emotionally well... It could well... be any of you. Yeah. Um, but it, I'm, not, I'm not arguing that it's Caitlyn. It's definitely Caitlyn. She has that yeah. anger. It's all very centered around her, especially the climax of the movie. Mm-hmm. But that just doesn't make sense to me. These, these women, like, who show up. One is in the background of her room. One I think it's the same the woman. Strobosophic light. I think it's the same woman. No, And the same one on the ceiling. They don't look the same at all. We don't get a clear picture of any of them. The one on the ceiling looks young. It looks like a little girl. It does not look like a woman. I guess. I just find... I found it to be incredibly inconsistent. And there are so many other ways. And the other thing that's very confusing to me is that I don't... At the end of the movie, they come to this conclusion, right? They, they Paul and Dr. Helzer stand there and go, okay, well, I guess... Specifically, Paul and Dr. Helzer do, not... No, know. just the two of them. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. They stand under the thing and they talk about, like... So I guess that was just what happened was um, Caitlin went through this really horrible sexual situation and that's what happened. So that's why we're here. And I just like, I didn't believe that. Right. They're probably wrong. I think is, that's, is that what we're supposed to believe that they're absolutely wrong? Well, I think that's what the last shot being a puzzle piece is, is that they're wrong. Okay. Because I definitely it's thought the they mom's were wrong. ghost. Thank you for saying that because yeah. I definitely thought, and this is like based on my feelings about the possession scene, which we can talk about is that her dad a hundred percent abused her. Like, that's how I feel. Yeah, Uh, definitely. Because she is so scared of him Yeah, and she's so, and it's, it's not just normal teenage girls, adult fathers being able to like, not being able to connect. That's not normal because of the trauma, but of course, but there's, but there, there's a different way to relate. And he would sit, he sits down on her next to the couch and she like scoots away. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. She won't, she doesn't like, there's a whole bit where he is in her room trying to get her out of bed to talk to her grandfather. And she reacts very only when he touches her, yeah. she's angry at him, but then he like reaches out and grabs her to drag her out of bed and she flips and she's like, I'll do anything you want as long as you don't touch me. And then the possession scene the whatever is inside of her that is speaking for her is like is saying to the dad like keep your hands off her you did things to her and then is saying to um the the scientist like you saw what he did you saw what he did and that to me like the answer is not that caitlin is wrong and the dad is saying oh no she just she saw something and she was confused no 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 i never said we should nobody ever said we should believe alan i don't think anyone they they did the people in the movie did. And I don't think this movie does enough. You're not being specific enough by saying the people in the movie. You need to be more specific. Paul and Dr. Helzer. Okay. The reason they I... don't They don't believe him because that's why they end up interrogating him. They believe him at the end. The interrogation specifically is why we're supposed to believe him. Because the interrogation is so long and so arduous. And he's crying. And he's giving us this whole emotional spiel about how like... 
oh, my wife was cheating on me and she just became this different person and I was going to get a divorce because she was, like, hurting me. And we're supposed to really, like, buy into that story. I don't think so at all. Because it begins with... Not begins. The breaking... I don't agree. Okay, let's sort of reset. And there's Mm -hmm. a bunch of different evidentiary points I want to address. I don't really think our characters are correct in their assessment situation. Paul and Dr. Helzer? Any of them. I think Dr. Helzer is just wrong... He's sort of stubborn about his belief in the limits of, you know, parapsychology or whatever. Mm-hmm. Alan clearly is lying. But that interrogation scene, the way that it, like, really unfolds is, as Dr. Helzer is interrogating him, Dr. Helzer just keeps saying over and over again, I can't hear you, to, like, goad him. Yes, and then, to push him into telling the truth. Until he starts screaming, quote, she was a fucking whore. She was wicked. And, like... No, I don't think we're supposed to be on board with anything sympathetic to him. He's like... Not sympathetic, but the truth. Wicked is a very specific word to be using I agree, but but nothing that he says, like, is against that. No, it's it's all so vague. The story of her cheating on him... Is so vague and weird and doesn't... I agree, the pieces don't fit. It doesn't make sense that, like, he hit her once and then they drove away and the wife got in a car... Like... That, or that, like, I couldn't tell if he was suggesting that the the man, the man that the, that the wife brought home, was the one who hurt Caitlin. He says, he comes home and he says, I saw everything. Yeah. And I'm like, what did you see? You saw them all standing around or you saw, like, this man hurting your daughter? I have no idea. I wasn't sure. And so it felt, I don't know. I just felt it because he got this big scene and we only saw very little of Caitlin I don't know that we're supposed to know that as an audience. I was just very confused. I think there's a lot we're not supposed to know. I mean, again, the Do fact you... that the fact that the director thinks that the final shot is information that we need to unpack this movie means that the straight reading of it is wrong. So do you think that this movie is doing enough? Because I agree. I like we said, we both got enough from it to go, I don't know about that. I don't I think that's a lie. I think that's or I think that's wrong. But do you think this movie do you think that's enough? Do you think that's fine that they just, because they planted that question in our brains somehow? What do you mean enough? What I would prefer is more evidence that I am correct in my understanding of what poltergeists are. My understanding. Okay, your understanding of poltergeist is irrelevant to this movie. This no, movie it's, can no have a, it's not. No, it's no, not. No, because no, no, no. This movie can have its own internal logic. It doesn't have to square up with other movies. But that's my question. Because here's, if, if, if poltergeists in this movie means... There are apparitions that show up as a reflection of your psyche, then maybe I am wrong. And maybe it is a poltergeist and she's suffering from this bad sexual experience of watching her mother have sex with another man. And that's all we're supposed to get from it. Whereas if the last shot is supposed to be, this isn't a poltergeist, Dr. Helzer is wrong, everybody's wrong, Caitlin is the one, she's still the victim, everyone should be paying more attention to what she's saying rather than Alan then the movie is not telling you that. Because they're not actually giving you a definition of what poltergeists are in the movie. I don't think it needs to. I, okay. I agree that it's not perfectly executed. This is not a movie that I loved, you know? And I agree that there's a lot left unexplained in a way that I find unsatisfying. They spent too much time talking about the goddamn equipment to the kid. Yeah. I, I don't know what you mean by enough, though. I think it works. I don't think that it's... It's not perfect. I would say that it doesn't work. I would say that it's not doing enough to 
and you, you you have this problem with the word enough. It's not doing enough to point you in the direction of what the truth is. Because it's not setting up the rules of this universe. It kind of does. There's the whole exposition-y thing about Dr. Helster talking about the different types of things. But he doesn't explain what that actually means. Because if he says poltergeist, and this isn't a poltergeist, it might just be this director saying... He doesn't call it a poltergeist. It's poltergeist syndrome. We're talking about the way that Dr. Helzer sees this. You're taking Dr. Helzer at face value. He isn't explaining all this correctly. But that's a character so thing, not a movie thing. That's a character thing. The character's part of the movie. What are you talking about? No, no, no. That is not a failure of the movie because of the way that Dr. Helzer sees this. No, no, no. Okay. No, you're, you're misunderstanding me. I, what I'm not, what we're not connecting right now is that, like, Dr. Helzer needs to tell me the rules of this world. What if Dr. Helzer is lying to you? Why would he be lying? Because he is a hard-nosed person who doesn't really believe in the supernatural, So he's per not se. lying. He's just not on the same page as me. He's not giving you the information you need. Yes. Sure, that's not a lie. Okay, he's not deceiving you. He is misleading you. Okay. Why would he do that? Because he doesn't believe in the supernatural. But why would they write him that way? To tell a story about a character who... Again, if this all hinges on the last shot, which is Dr. Helzer thinks it's done and we see clearly that it's not, then Dr. Helzer is wrong, right? Yes. Okay. If or or no, because this is what I'm this is what I'm presenting is what if in the world of this movie that is a poltergeist or a poltergeist syndrome or whatever. Why would the poltergeist be manifesting when Caitlin isn't even there? Caitlin's at the hospital. I don't know, but that's what I'm saying. I don't have enough information. This is the thing. I, I want to say totally like I want to be like they're lying. Like, Al, Al, Alan is lying and yeah. Dr. Helzer is wrong. That's what I want to say definitively, absolutely. Caitlin was abused and this is all some horrible, like, Alan trying to cover it up and Dr. Helzer supporting that theory rather than a different theory. I don't have the ability to do that because I don't think this movie did the work to, to allow that to happen. I think that there needs to be more information and there needs to be more at least someone reliable in this movie in order to get to that point. Sure. Because right now it's just a muddle and it makes no sense. I agree. There's a lot of there's a lot of empty space and I Sure, I agree. I don't think that invalidates sort of this side interpretation that we're doing. It doesn't and I'm I'm going back and forth on like I it's okay to have questions at the end of a movie and it's okay to be like oh I wonder if they were lying. It's just that the, while I was watching it, it was like, why are you telling me that this is a poltergeist? It's clearly not a poltergeist. Well, because he believes it's a poltergeist. But why would he believe that? Why would he look and see the face in that picture and the woman in the stroboscopic light and all of the times they see an image and the possession of Caitlyn? Like, Okay, so yeah, let's talk about this. The other thing I found, so I think what's frustrating you is something I think really was unique and interesting about this movie, which is that it... I don't know that I've seen another horror movie that wants to delineate between different types of, like, parapsychological activity, that wants to talk about specters and ghosts and poltergeists being different things. Mm -hmm. And the fact that we see, they are scientists. They are full-on scientists. Uh They talk to a medium, and they're like, oh, this is a guy we talk to and we need to get XYZ. And it shows scientists embracing mediums, I find really interesting. Yeah. But, like, can we talk about that medium scene for one second? Because it is one of my favorite scenes of the movie. I watched it several times, which is Caitlin's possession. Caitlin gets possessed. They're asking, you know, is anyone here with us? Is anyone is anyone with us? And 
I don't remember what, what they say, but they look over at Caitlin. Well, so, well, first of all, the shot is on the channeler. Yeah. And his eyes are closed. And he's, and he's having like a, like a yeah. moment. He's like grunting. Yes. Um, And then it like immediately cuts to Caitlin, whose eyes are like white. White. And she has that voice where it sounds like there's lots of It's pitch voices. shifted. It's yeah. pitch shifted like down. And she says, there are lots of us. And then what, is he, what does Dr. Helzer say? He says, show us that you are yeah. real or something. And then Caitlin's mouth stays closed. The voice still says, there are lots, there of, are us. lots of us. And then Caitlin smiles. Yeah. And that moment. It's really effective. It's very effective. But like, how on earth could Dr. Helzer watch this happen? And then, and then whatever is inside of Caitlin is clearly, clearly like wants to protect her. That like. They're the ones that lash out at the father. Yeah. You know, they're the ones that, like, they send him across the room. They make him, like, fly into a bunch of machinery and electronics. Yes. Um, because he, they're, they're shouting that he's, like, lying and that he hurt her and that everyone else saw it happen. And I don't understand how Dr. Hollister could look at that and be like, ah, yes, definitely not ghosts. Well, because he's looking for, conf- it's confirmation bias. Yeah. I want to talk about, because I agree that this is sort of the mysterious part of it. I want to talk about something I alluded to earlier, which is another really subtle touch that I think is brilliant. So yes, that scene ends with Alan getting like thrown through a door, mm-hmm. um, th- specifically the glass door of the kitchen. Mm-hmm. It cuts to the next morning, a shot through the glass door, the where the door used to be, <laughs> of them all sitting eating breakfast in silence. Mm-hmm. It's really super effective. Yeah, it's like it's just like the the sharp contrast is another example of something that like. It really works. They're just sitting there in silence. Someone says something. They get like three words Paul. out. Paul like says three words. Because he says something sarcastic, I'm yeah. pretty sure. And Caitlin immediately throws up. Ellen escorts her out. It's like, oh, let's go get you cleaned up or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they like walk out of the kitchen and like down the hall and off camera. But as they're passing, uh, Caitlin like turns to the camera and like has a smile on her face real mm-hmm. like for like five frames. It's it's so subtle. I watched it's a couple times good. just to make sure that I didn't imagine it. Mm-hmm. But like that means something <laughs> that feeds into this. Mm-hmm. It is not just the mom's ghost. Sure. It is. And see, it's not clear. Did the possession of Caitlin take? Is she now permanently possessed? Is one of those ghosts inhabiting her body still, or is she doing know, this on purpose? Psychologically manifesting something. Yes. Yeah. Like. It's not clear, but she is in control enough there to smile. And it's like, it's really freaking creepy. And it, it, it makes our questions even more complicated. Like, I don't, I don't know what to do with that. This is just sort of a long way of saying, like, there's just like, there's lots of clues here. There's a lot of clues here. Yeah. And I I agree. I agree that it could be better about making, making it clearer that we maybe shouldn't trust our protagonists. And if the goal of the film is to say that something's going on that isn't, what the plot and the characters are telling us, then yes, it could definitely do more in that direction. It could be more effective in making us question what is being presented. Instead, it makes us question what we're seeing and what we're experiencing, which just makes us confused. Right. Not, and I don't even think it... Yeah. I don't think this movie is actually even asking us to question anything, which is the problem. It's usually in these kind of movies when you set up the scientist, Dr. Helzer, should be, he should be an authority. Like, and I may, and maybe that's a good thing that they decided to make him an unreliable narrator when normally he is the most reliable one, like in his trope. But I just, I, I don't think that the movie was, did enough to let us know we should be doubting him. Does that make sense? I just, yeah. 
I would love to interview the director or screenwriter. I know. Because he sounds like he did a lot of work. Yeah. I want to know why this movie didn't work for me. Yeah. When he clearly had such a plan. Another thing to note, while we're... I guess we're basically just, like, tossing around theories here, right? We're talking about yep. what happened here. The title is pretty relevant. Not Apartment 143, because that's just whatever. But mm-hmm. Amerigo, again, read an interview with the director where he says that a lot of things are emerging in this movie, and it's sort of up to the audience to, you know, That's kind of based I- off of the puberty that. thing. Kind of, yes. But he did specifically say, like, you know, things are emerging in, in Caitlin. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really early to develop schizophrenia. It's unfortunate. Yeah, well, I mean, well, it's you, genetic, it, you know? but it normally uh, emerges when you're in your twenties. Really? Even, yeah, that's that's like when it's supposed to happen is when you're in your early twenties. That is unfortunate. Mm. I don't know. I don't know what happened in this movie. I don't know what the what Me the neither. truth is. So, what is the truth? I don't know either. And it frustrated me that I that I didn't know because I wanted. I guess one of the reasons it frustrated me as so much as I wanted validation and um, mm-hmm. revenge on Caitlin's behalf. If her father was abusing her, that's I want it. there to be more. I don't think there's a lot. I sort of, I don't want to deny an interpretation, and I didn't really comment on it when you were going off on that. I don't really think there's a lot there to assume that Caitlin is, like, being sexually abused by her father. Not now, but my assumption is that it was at one point. I don't know. I don't know. I can't tell. That's That was my feeling watching it. I'm not saying it's actually, because like I said... They didn't do work to make it's, sure that was absolutely what was going on. That interpretation is sub-subtext. Like, you know. It is, but I also, like, I don't know what else I'm supposed to think about the way that they are around each other. She does not weird. want it's him weird. to touch her in any way. Yeah. And it's not all men. Because the suggestion could could be she had an averse. What do you mean it's not all men? It's not. She doesn't have the problem with Paul. She does not avoid Paul. She does not avoid the doctor. She does she not have... She's like nice to them. No, but she's she's not nice to anybody. She's not nice to um, Ellen either. But she does not avoid them and does, she does not fear them in a way that's like, oh, she had an adverse sexual experience. Well, sure. Okay. And so you now she's afraid that. of men. Is that a phrase that someone says? Yes. You keep saying like bad sexual experience. That's what they say. Okay. I don't say. remember that phrase. So they say in the movie is that she had a... I think they said adverse, but they some adjective sexual experience while she was coming into her sexual feelings, and now she which is, is just her witnessing either her witnessing her mother cheating on her with a, with this guy or that guy doing something to her or Alan doing something. They don't ever present that as a possibility. Right. I do, right? Because I think that's a possibility, but only because of the way she reacts to her yeah, father yeah. and never anybody else. She has this thing about him touching her. She seems terrified of him. Physically, she does not want to be next to him on a couch. And then when she's possessed, whatever is inside of her suggests that Paul did something to her. Like, that's what that... That's text. Paul? No, sorry, not Paul. Gotta get their names confused. Alan. Yeah. It suggests that Alan did something to her. And that's text. That's not sub subtext. Yeah, no, yeah. So I don't know what I'm supposed to think about that. I, it to could, get your hands off her is so... Yes, exactly. Yeah. And it could be, you know what, honestly, if I wanted to dive deep, it could be the confusion of father versus mother's lover. Yeah. Uh, in Caitlin's mind that she saw this happen, maybe was even abused herself by this man, and now conflates them. Yeah. But I think that's actually reaching farther than just the father yeah. abusing her. You know what I mean? There's also the schizophrenia aspect. 
if we're talking about like her confusing and sort of distorting reality, mm-hmm. I mean, not to. I almost, always end up having to like. I almost said not to victim blame, but like, there's no evidence that like Caitlin's like actively a victim. So like, it's hard to. Right. We don't know what the reality is, mm-hmm. but the movie does tell us that she is developing. She has the onset of schizophrenia. So maybe it's the movie tells us, or Doctor Helzer tells us, which he could be fucking wrong about. Doctor Helzer, does he knows tell us. nothing. He's wrong about everything. I mean, are we? Should we not assume that the wife did have schizophrenia? No, I think we can assume that because the little boy, the little boy is the most reliable narrator. He tells the truth. Yeah, for sure. And he says, mommy was in bed for a long time. Um, and then she was in a car accident. Yeah. And we know she stopped taking her medication because it comes up. Uh, they at least have the divorce. Yes. Yeah. The divorce was about to happen because she stopped taking her meds. I don't know. I think that, I don't think we're going to solve this. I want to talk to the director or writer. No, but... I know. I want to interview him. Come on our podcast. <laughs> How'd you feel about the acting in this movie? I thought some of it was so good and some of it was so weak. I could only... The only acting I think was good was Caitlin, really. She was good. The little boy, I thought he was good. He was the one I was like... Yeah. He talked like a child mm-hmm. does. And it was funny. I've, I have been watching a couple of the movies that have children in them recently. And, like, sometimes children are good actors, but they're reading a script that sounds like someone was writing for an adult. And it's so weird. And I think that, like, all of Benny's lines were very much like how a child would talk. And I appreciated that. So he came across very real to me. And I thought Alan's long monologue was... It's fine. It was fine. It could have been really bad. I think Dr. Helzer specifically the, was Dr. Really Helzer bad. is really He's bad. He's really bad. And um, and Ellen and Paul were just kind of fine. Yeah. They, didn't, they weren't being stretched at all. I'm still thinking about what happened in this movie. <laughs> the stuff that seems the most poltergeist syndrome, you know, manifestation, is the house painting being turned upside down absolutely and just and the lights flickering and the doorbell ringing and the phone ringing are all very right but like there's there'd be a reason for that also like the photo being deleted from the Mm -hmm. laptop is interesting i don't know because that could go either way that could be a ghost or a specter or whatever trying to erase evidence of his presence Mm -hmm. or it could be kaylin doing that which i don't know why but i don't know that's the thing like we don't know enough about this poltergeist syndrome is it kaylin using her powers or is it Caitlyn being angry and something is manifesting? Yeah. Uh, does that mean in like, the place of that? In according to this world, is like is Carrie a movie about poltergeist syndrome? Like yes. <laughs> I, but, but she's doesn't Carrie. Oh, that's what I'm getting confused about. Doesn't Carrie do things very deliberately? Yes. And that's I think that's that's different because that's like having um. Well, she she has to learn to to deal with it. Right. That's like Matilda also. Like Matilda, um, not a scary movie, but also you know telekinetic. Tel, tel, that's the word telekinetic. I think there's a difference between telekinetic and 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 poltergeist syndrome. Yeah. Because what like what's a poltergeist like um. The movie Poltergeist. No, I'm trying to think of like a movie I've seen where like the person themselves is not in control of it. They just get angry. Like, it'd be the idea of me getting mad at you, and I wouldn't, like, take my hand and, like, use it to pick up something with the force and throw it at you. Oh, the force? The force. <laughs> it's It would be the idea that I was just so angry that, like, something just flew off the wall. Yeah. You know? Like, it's this lack of control. And so, Caitlin doesn't have control over it. She's not, like, she's not telekinetic. She's not doing it to someone. Right. It's just her anger and... I guess fucking puberty, like creating these situations. Puberty and schizophrenia. That's what that's what's emerging. That's what this movie's about. It is. It's what's emerging. It's the emergo. Emergo. Which uh, it's always it's always nice to have a movie about. Um, I don't remember saying it in a... how menstruation is you know like the cause of evil and also what Carrie's about. Um, <laughs> well, while we're on the subject, no, Carrie's a lot smarter than that. Yes, I really like Carrie. 
Brian De Palma's Carrie. Not MTV's Carrie, starring Chloe Grace Moretz. <laughs> Anything else to say on this? Again, no. I liked it. I didn't love it, but I liked it because I think it did a lot of things yeah. differently. And specifically, I guess, for listeners who don't know how much I fucking hate found footage, this, not like, barely bothering me is an is achievement. It's a pretty good sign. I liked it. I resent it because if they'd done more work, I would have loved it. And I think that's why I'm like hedging so much because yeah. I genuinely liked so much of it, but there was that huge, big, glaring problem that just made it, it just didn't get there for me. You want to uh, go on on a quote? Of course. Not many people know this, but the other side is just 90 centimeters above our dimension. That's why it's so common for people to see ghosts from the waist up. That's the channeler that even because he needs to sit on a phone book. If you remember, he asked for a phone book to sit on on the chair so that well, he I can remember. channel. And on that note, are get you ready to out? What are we going to do with this movie to get rid of it? They don't do anything. <laughs> they don't get rid of the evil. <laughs> they don't. Are you ready to let this fester? And uh, no, no, I don't want to. I want to do the opposite of what these Ooh. people do and actually solve the crime. Are you... <laughs> yeah. Are you ready to solve this crime? We can't yet someday we'll solve this <laughs> also crime crime is that what happened ghost crime it's crime time ghost crime yeah so uh no no sign off on this movie because we refuse to repeat its mistakes <laughs> so before we spin the roulette we have a little bit of an announcement yes we are moving from once a week episodes to once every two weeks yes. still on tuesdays mm-hmm. uh just twice a month rather than four times we were feeling a little bit overwhelmed and I'm feeling like everyone else was feeling a little overwhelmed. Yeah, we know that a lot of a lot of our listeners um, tend to end up binging to catch up on this. Mm-hmm. And but everyone's busy. Everyone's we busy. We're we busy. It. You're busy. <laughs> we're hoping that, you know, this sort of reduced schedule will help people be able to come to the podcast and spend some time with it. Maybe actually spend some time with the movies if the movie, they want to, if yeah. the movie justifies it. And also maybe the weekend... Start having more guests on. Yeah, do more bonuses if we want to. Expand like, the yeah. expand sort of our content. You know, we've been talking a lot about how we want to redo the website, and having some more time to not have to put out an episode every week mm-hmm. kind of gives us a little more time to bring more now screaming in total to the listeners. Yes, exactly. So, so this one don't shed uh, a tear. <laughs> don't shed a tear for us. So, uh, so this whatever we're about to roll will be in two weeks. Yes. Are you ready? You got the roulette up. Yep. Our next movie will be An American Werewolf in London. Nice. Yes. We have both already seen this. Mm-hmm. We watched it together. <laughs> we did. I showed it to you. Yes, you did. Um, but I'm really excited to do it again and talk about it because I actually really loved it. Anything to add? <laughs> yeah, this is one of my favorite Wolf movies. It's one of my favorite movies. Mm-hmm. It's the John Landis 1981 original. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there's a remake. There's a, there's a sequel unfortunately yes this is the ridge the ridge i'm excited this should be a real fun episode mm-hmm. i'm excited me too perfect for our first every other week yes. episode. <laughs> so join us on march 21st mm-hmm. as we talk for... about an american wealth in london mm-hmm. until then be sure to check us out on our website at nowscreaming.com and on twitter and facebook at now screaming be sure to rate and review the podcast on itunes leave us some nice things to say yes please Thanks, Wes Craven, for being clear about... Uh, <laughs> I have plenty of questions about Wes Craven movies. Uh, but they're good questions. They're not like, 
useless plot questions wow. that distract from the actual movie. In general, yeah, he's better. He's better about I mean, that. We know that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Until next time, everybody. See you not next week, but the week after. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.